Hello, you're listening to Grow, Cook, Inspire. I'm your host, Helen Cross, and this is a podcast with food and gardening at its core, supported by Caledonian Horticulture. Hello and welcome back everybody and welcome to Series 5, Episode 3 of the podcast. Today's guest is the lovely Cathy Slack, author, writer, gardener, podcast host, supper club host and also last year Cathy published her debut book The Veg Patch. We'll be talking about that and much much more later on in the show. But first, I just wanted to use this opportunity as a little reminder that this week until Sunday the 30th of January is the Big Garden Birdwatch, which is organised by the charity RSPB. Now, basically, this is your opportunity to go out into the garden for about an hour or your local green space and count how many birds and monitor how they're faring in your garden. It's free and it's fun and it's a great way to keep an eye on your local wildlife wherever you are and whatever you see. Basically just log on to RSPB and log your details and I'll put all the details of how you can do this in today's show notes. Now this is really really important because over the last 50 years a staggering 38 million birds have been lost from the UK skies. Like a lot of garden wildlife and biodiversity, our bird life is under a huge amount of threat due to loss of habitat, food and pesticides. So this is an opportunity for us to check in and see how our bird life is doing where you are. Now last year more than a million people took part in the Big Garden Bird Watch, so it would be brilliant if we could all come together and do the same, if not better, than last year. And while we're at it, now's a great opportunity to make sure that our bird feeders, if you've got some, are well stocked for the rest of the winter. Or if you don't have any bird feeders, no need to go out and buy them. You can also make your own. And this is a great thing to do with kids. You can use um, milk cartons and cut out a hole and fill that with bird seed. Or you can get pine cones and stuff them or pack them even with suet and lard and lots of yummy bird seed or get a big orange cut it in half scoop out the flesh pack it with peanut butter and various different seeds and then you can tie some string through it hang it from some trees or branches and hopefully that will attract more birds into your gardens so as i said i'll put all the details in the show notes but now it's time for my chat with kathy slack I'll not keep you too long. So, Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Really lovely to have you on the show. Um, how are things as we slide into February after what can probably be a fairly quick January compared to last year? Yes, it feels like January's gone in a flash, doesn't it? I started at the beginning of the year thinking, uh, by the end of January, I'll definitely have finished all my veg patch planning and ordered all my seeds. And that'll be a really lovely way to spend a nice slow January. And actually, I'm looking at the calendar now going, where has January gone and how have I got nothing done? And I just really want to hibernate at the moment, which I think is slowing things down as well. I think that's allowed. And to be honest, everything under the ground is doing the exact same. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're meant to sort of rest 
uh, and be peaceful throughout January. So we can all emerge when the tulips and the daffodils decide to to emerge as well. So I think you can cut yourself some slack. I quite agree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, Kathy, as well as being an author, a writer, a grower of veg, photographer, you run supper clubs, you've got, you co-host the lovely, fantastic podcast, Roots and Wings and Other Things with Jez Rose. You also published a book last year, um, but you've not always been in the sort of food industry, have you? No, that's right. I used to work in advertising and I lived in London in a tiny little basement flat with three windows. And my days were out of the basement flat, onto the tube, into the office for 14 hours and then back the same way. So if I saw daylight, it was a surprise. So, yes, the world the world changed for me about um, nine years ago now when um, I mean, it's such a predictable story. It's the classic like rat race burnout story of um, one day sort of ceasing to function and um, realizing that what I needed to do was get away from this world of lack of nature and um and so we're actually we'd already moved to the countryside by that point I'm in the Cotswolds and I thought that would help but actually that just made the commute even worse Um, so I turned to gardening and veg growing specifically kind of as solace as therapy I mean I don't want to be too hippie woo woo about it but um the veg patch certainly really helped me recover and it took a long time Um, But as I did recover, I started writing recipes with the ingredients that I was growing and I found it really inspiring and I started photographing them and I thought this might be fun as a job possibly, but, you know, I wasn't really thinking very straight at the time, which is probably good in hindsight, because if I'd thought too much about it, I'd have gone, no, 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 that's ridiculous. But actually, it was better not to think about it too much and just have a crack at it. And so it's been a slow burn because you know that was nearly a decade ago now. And finally, we get to a uh, book published at the in the summer of uh, 2021. So it's um it's not been a, a, a heady whirlwind of progress, but um in a way, I think that's probably good for the soul. And I feel like I've learned lots along the way and I've come to understand the vegetables and what kind of food I like growing in a different way, too. So um all to the good in the end. So from from advertising to, to gardening, it is a bit of a, a, di- <laughs> a diversion, so to speak, because that's a very fast paced line of work and especially doing it in, in London as well um, at that time 10 years ago. Mm. Um, had you always had an interest in sort of cooking and growing? Had there been that somewhere in your past? Yes, yes, they had. It's not like I just suddenly went, oh, I know. Shall I do knitting or shall I do gardening? I know I'll do gardening. No, um, I, um, I've always uh, loved eating. I'm greedy. Uh, my dad is a very intuitive cook. And so from being little with him, I would, you know, he'd stand at the fridge of an evening and go right well what should we make with the stuff we've got in here you know he was never one to follow recipes so that was always very exciting my mum's a really good cook but in a different way she's a great baker and she follows recipes but she's very precise so I kind of had the perfect upbringing from the two of them learning to cook in different ways yeah best Um, of both worlds exactly yes so I've just always been interested in food 
and enjoyed cooking. Cooking was always a pastime and something you did to relax and something you did to show other people that you loved them in my in my family. So it was um, it was a natural progression, really. And I, I like the countryside. I like being close to nature. So um, it felt like a natural fit. And quite a blessing, I would imagine, over the last couple of years as well, to be honest. So much so. I kind of feel like, you know, if if you can delve deep and find some positive to lockdown and the pandemic, I feel a bit like now I'm finally preaching to the converted. It's like everyone's suddenly gone, oh, nature and growing stuff's quite fun, isn't it? It's not good <laughs> for the soul. And I'm like, exactly I've been saying this for years finally you've all realized <laughs> I know because I mean I used to live in London and I I, but I grew up on a on a farm and mm. but I've left I left home at 17 I've only lived in cities just because of the way my work has taken me and then my husband's work which has meant we've always lived in the city but and I know we're, it's very unlikely that we will move back although never say never but with three kids I'm just I've always been really passionate about instilling my upbringing into them as much as I can although mm. we, live, we live in Glasgow and I think more and more people have got on board with that as yeah. well which... and I think as well that people realize that you know nature isn't something you go and visit it's there all around <laughs> you in your window box in the choices you make about how seasonal your vegetables are that you buy wherever you buy them from in the walk through the park to the office you know in the birds that are annoying first thing in the morning it, it's not something you have to go and find it's there all around you and how much you choose to let it in regardless of your environment is is kind of up to you oh absolutely I couldn't I couldn't agree more now you you just didn't just you've also gone and retrained and harnessed and sort of upped your skills in terms of your cooking skills at Ashburton Cookery School mm. then led you on to Dalesford um, Organic Farm mm. what what did you take from that because that's obviously a great experience Dalesford yeah Dalesford particularly was um really exciting because I was learning on the job and it depends what kind of learner you are but that's the way I specifically like to learn so that came about because in my slightly fried brain state which in a way is quite liberating because you don't really worry about too much in the same way um I um got in touch with uh Jez Taylor who's the head gardener head veg gardener at Dalesford you don't know me, but I've just quit my job and I think I want to grow vegetables for a living, but I've no idea what I'm doing. And he said, you had you better come and work for me then. I was like, yes, please. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was amazing. Luckily, I timed it well because it was the middle of summer. So he was desperate for people. Yeah. Um, so I went to work in the kitchen gardens at Dalesford, which was just such a learning curve. And it was so exciting and it's so beautiful there. And then a permanent job came up in the cookery school. And at first I was doing admin and hosting and all that sort of stuff in the cookery school. And then it kind of, I sort of muscled my way into Chef's Whites and doing a bit more cooking and, and learning that way. And it's such an inspiring place to work that you're so exposed to new ways of farming um, like in terms of vegetables, but also in terms of dairy, and cheese, and baking and um and rearing animals and all that sort of stuff that you can't help but constantly be trying new things and absorbing new ideas 
That's fantastic. And you obviously, what what made you decide to leave Dalesford and go off and pursue your, your own thing? Oh, it was really hard, that. And I kind of dragged it out as long as I could by kind of going part time and then going and working in the restaurant kitchens um, instead, because that was shift work. So I could do a bit. I could still stay there. I just didn't really want to leave. But at the same time, I'd been doing more blogging and also more private chefing. The joy of the Cotswolds here is that there's a quite a lot of big houses that like having dinner cooked for them and b lots of people (laughs) lots of people come on holiday here and they like having dinner cooked for them as well so I'd started doing some um, private chefing with a friend and that just took off Um, and so it was it became sort of impossible to um, to manage both of them and I knew that I wanted to do my own thing eventually. So it was a wrench and I go back to see them. Um, I'm doing some stuff with them over the summer. We're going to do a couple of sub clubs and things. And it does feel like going home, going back to Dalesford. I do love it. Well, that sounds good. And they're always there for, for support and help and advice, I imagine, as well. Mm, exactly. Hopefully. Yeah. So in terms of your cooking, where where does your inspiration come from? Are there any sort of names out there that you sort of have been inspired by over over the years? Um, yes, there's certainly names and people that have been a huge influence. Um, but I think the influence is the landscape. So wherever and then that's one of the joys of living in the countryside. You're surrounded by farms and farming and producers and your veg patch as well and that's the main source of um of ideas i think not least because in the last couple of years i've moved the veg patch back to the garden i'd sort of thrown myself on the mercy of cotswold landowners around and about and been growing in other people's on other people's land Mm. until recently and having the veg patch literally outside the kitchen now makes such a difference um to the to the way my ideas come about because I'll be sort of chopping something or like I was making some puy lentils the other day and I looked up and saw the chard which is just berserk at the moment but actually quite slug eaten I was like well the Mm. stems are still good I know let's do something with the stems maybe we can pick all the stems and that just came up from being able to see the vegetables so and I think the la- so the landscape is very important to me. And I find that when I travel as well, you, know, you go somewhere, particularly in the UK, and you're sort of inspired by all the things you see growing and the producers you pass as you're driving around. Oh, but then, but in terms of in terms of influences, um, it's a it's the predictable lot, really, isn't it? You know, I did a stage at River Cottage a few years ago. Um, and that was just game changing. You know, I remember being like in my um, in my 20s, in my basement flat in London, watching Escape to River Cottage the first time, you know, the, the early 2000s going, oh, this is just heaven, isn't it? So yeah. to be able to actually go there and see it happen for real and, and help chop things for a couple of weeks was um really inspiring and I came away with so many ideas from that so places like River Cottage um and um and from a writing point of view I mean you can't really top people like Nigella and Nigel Slater there's just it's such an art particularly somebody like Nigella who can write 
so intelligently and so lyrically but create food that's so accessible and um and easy and welcoming and convivial I think that's a there's a real art to that so yeah yeah no actually and both of those writers I mean they're cooks but they're also writers first and foremost and you can almost hear their voices when you're reading each of the pages as if they're sort of sitting reading to you as you're cooking in the kitchen exactly Um, exactly art it is a real art which I I really admire because one of my loves of uh, cookery books it's not just the food but it's actually what is written on the pages because I'll take them to bed with me and read them (laughs) to be honest and I think that is so many people's aim when you write a cookbook is that you really want it or I certainly like books that are the sort that you want to take to bed and just read with you preferably on a full stomach because there's nothing worse than getting hungry whilst you're reading recipe books which happens all the time well listen on that note let's um, let's talk about your debut book um, mm. from the veg patch which was published last year how did that come about um it was a long slow process and <laughs> i've wanted to write a book for ages when the blog came about and i was writing that every sort of week or so thinking I feel like I'd really like these recipes to come together into something real that I can hold in my hand um and so I'd been trying for a little while it's a hugely competitive I'm sure you'll know it's hugely competitive um industry um and there's plenty of cookbooks in this world (laughs) already so (laughs) encouraging someone to pay you to do another one takes a while but we got there, got there in the end. And actually, when it happened, it all happened very quickly. Um, I got a lovely agent who was very smart and went to Penguin with it. And Penguin went, yes, very quickly. So it um, and then suddenly I was writing a book. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, and it was a joy from beginning to end. I knew what the you have to write a book proposal. And so, you know what the recipes are going to yeah. be and you know what the idea is and you know what the angle is and all that sort of stuff. But it was such a joy to just spend a couple of months just testing recipes and then writing them all up. And and then we did the shoot. And the irony of this is not lost on me. We did the shoot in Hackney for the book. <laughs> um, and so I spent like three two three weeks like lugging my vegetables down on a monday morning or on a sunday night um lugging bins like wheelie bins full of vegetables and mud i did actually take a tupperware of mud (laughs) to the shoot one day so that we could get it all looking um authentic all looking right yeah exactly (laughs) and then we did we did end up doing some here and obviously I'd been taking pictures of the vegetables and the veg patch over the course of the year so it was just the studio shots that we um um that we did in Hackney but it was slightly hilarious Uh, and that was a pleasure as well because I did the photography too and I had a lot of help because it was the first time I'd um obviously it was my first book so it was the first time I'd shot for uh, a book um and it was just the whole thing was a complete joy and what are the, your standout recipes within it? Because although it's called the veg patch or from the veg patch, it's not it's not a vegetarian book. There are sort of 
meat dishes in there as well but what mm. what are your sort of standout recipes oh gosh now that? you're asking fortunately <laughs> I've got a copy of it here to hand so I might have to have a flick through and it's so hard to pick and depending on the season I find that my favorite ones change so over the summer I was cooking the I mean partly out of necessity the um courgette cake a lot because mm. um, there's a lot of courgettes around at the moment but at this time of year um there's a recipe that I really love and it's very simple but it seems to come to quite unction um filling which is a roast leeks with and you roast them whole and then you serve it with a herby cheesy polenta and pine nuts and thyme and things that's a that's a winner um, in our house and a nice quick cook as well. Um, but then I also like, um, I'm trying to think which ones I particularly turn to at the moment. Oh, there's a recipe for kale pesto, which mm. I just use all the time. And it's kale and um, hazelnut pesto. And then you roast the cauliflower with it and oh. um, and toss it all up together. And it's, oh just delicious yum um, yes, I'm glad I made my lunch yeah <laughs> well I haven't and it's making me feel quite hungry but then you know there's there are um meat dishes in there as well so there's mm -hmm. a kale um also on the kale front there's a kale recipe um that's like a baked kale with eggs and chorizo in it that's a lovely winter warmer as well it's all about winter warmers in january i think isn't it oh totally i mean i'm still eating pumpkin at the moment as well because i had so many pumpkins and they store so well so i had pumpkin, roast pumpkin for lunch yeah oh you see my pumpkin harvest was dreadful this oh. year oh well tell me your secret well, what varieties I, did you do do you know what i actually it's got a lot to do with the weather i Scotland had a really good pumpkin season as a whole compared to down south. Interesting. So much so that the farmers up here who grow them on a bigger scale were getting requests from down south for pumpkins for pumpkin farms. That's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? So I think well, we had a we did have a cold spring, but we had a much warmer summer than we mm. maybe normally would. But my secret to growing pumpkins at home is my dad's sheep dung. Uh, that I, that'll I, do it. That I bring yep. up uh, to Glasgow. <laughs> Excellent. Sell it on the streets. It's like gold dust. <laughs> I bet you could. Well, I've got a nice pumpkin tikka masala recipe for you for your glutton oh, pumpkins. Then. Yum. <laughs> uh, but in terms of varieties, what did I grow? I grew the um, Crown Prince is my number one mm. favorite. I am addicted to that. Mm. Um, but I've also ordered in for this year um, from Sarah Raven's catalogue. I think it's called Porcelain Doll. Um, and it's it looks, it's quite pinky in colour and it looks very much like a Cinderella sort of typical pumpkin. Um, but it's meant to taste quite trickly and it's really tasty. So it's not like a carving watery pumpkin. So I'm quite looking forward to experimenting with that um, Ooh, next year. Interesting. So maybe put that on your list and then we can compare notes coming up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. So in terms of work-wise, um, what are your sort of intentions for the year for uh, for the following year or this year, I should say? Um, is the podcast coming back with Jez? Oh, fingers crossed. We had such a fun time doing uh, root swings and other things um, over the summer last year. And we did series three as a bit of a laugh. And I'd been a 
um, Jez has been doing it for, for a couple of series and I'd been a guest on series two and we had such a hoot. He was like, why didn't you join me as a co-host? So we did series three together. Um, but uh, you will know from the Joy of Podcasts um, that they're quite involved, aren't they? They are, yeah. <laughs> and I'd never done one before. So we'd really like to do a series four but I think we need to um, think about the financing for that. Um, yes. So we're working on that at the moment. I really hope we can do it because it was such a giggle. Um, and then it's busy with fest. I feel like um, post pandemic, if we can say that, touching wood, yeah. um, people are really gearing up for the festivals being big this year. And I love doing a cookery demo. I love all those food festivals and the, um, and big festival and the St. Ives rock oyster and wilderness and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, a few of those getting booked in and then hopefully some more to come. Um, and then, and also it's a good way of showing people the book and recipes. Exactly. And getting out there a bit. Blow that like, trumpet. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, so I'll, put all the, I'll put all the details on the, on the show notes for the, for the book and the podcast and the blog as well, because um, the blog is beautiful as well. Um, it's it's really inviting as well. Thank you. What in terms of the veg patch? What what are you growing this year? What are your jobs for February onwards? What are you well, looking to, to do? My my main job is to work out what on earth I'm going to cook <laughs> um, to grow. Um, I had an idea over Christmas because my winter veg has been a bit. Well, my winter veg were fine and I was thinking, gosh, isn't it lovely that I don't seem to have to net anything this year against the pigeons? And then literally I went out for a day and came back and the pigeons had found the brassica bed and destroyed it in a day. Oh, so um, so my winter harvests haven't been fabulous. So I'm thinking I'd quite like to give over a whole bed to just Christmas vegetables so get my parsnips in and carrots all and you know get in the sprouts and so I've got one bed that's just Christmas because I love Christmas me too I um, see a book I see a book coming a homegrown Christmas with yes slack Christmas go. in one veg bed that'd be fun <laughs> wouldn't it yeah um, I'll, I'll go halfers with you <laughs> <laughs> okay fine <laughs> we can um, have a, a north and south um version because um that's the thing with cookbooks and especially gardening books and um, mm. I was speaking to another guest is like they're such a they're mostly written from a sort of southern perspective all yeah. the times as well it just doesn't always work if we follow it by by the line <laughs> so yes absolutely um I think you have to adapt it and so many people have different environments within their own garden as well you know we're oh, quite totally. we're quite sheltered but it's also quite damp despite it being in raised beds mm -hmm. um and you're contending with different things so i'm contending with a mole at the moment that oh, seems okay. uh, extremely belligerent so um <laughs> uh, so i think that might limit slightly what i can grow okay kathy well listen to round things up today the one question that i'm asking all guests this season is if you were to be banished off to a desert island that is warm and beautiful um which seed or plant would you take with you to grow and why that is such a difficult question um, <laughs> that question. um, um am i allowed to assume that i can grow it in something other than sand Will oh yeah, be... yeah, yeah i mean okay, yeah good. i mean this is okay. a pretty this is a yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's a hypothetical okay um well oh, i it's going to be a toss-up between 
broad beans and beetroot. But I think I'd come down on the side of beetroot just because it's so versatile. They've got a lovely long season. They're nice and straightforward to grow. You can cook them. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a full kitchen on this island. Oh, obviously, yeah. And, and someone can cook for so you. You can make them... <laughs> Excellent. So they can be sweet or they can be savoury. They're lovely raw in salads. They're great pickled. They roast really nicely. They're so versatile. There's so many things you can do with them. Um, but it's a close call with broad beans because there's just nothing like a new season broad bean. Oh, so beautiful. But not quite as versatile, perhaps. So, yeah, uh, beetroot. beetroot. And you can eat the, the leaves as well, the stalk of them. Well, well. I, I know you can in that they won't kill you, but I've never found great <laughs> pleasure in doing it. Like the little baby ones before, yeah. they've, before they've hearted up, fine. But but a full-grown beetroot, I, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be top of my from it i've got to say but maybe that no, says no. more about my beetroot growing skills no beetroot, so. I, I always get left with a little corner of baby ones so they end up being sort of i take the tops off them but no mm. you're right not not the big big ones definitely not <laughs> definitely not well listen kathy thank you so much for taking the time to join me um today it's been lovely to chat and and hear about everything good luck with the rest of the year and i hope you get to go to a few foodie festivals that sounds like good fun Thank you. Likewise. It's really lovely to chat. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And be sure to order the porcelain doll. I'll send you a link to the um, to the pumpkin seeds. Please do. <laughs> okay. Take care, Kathy. Bye. <laughs> nice to see you. Bye. A big thank you again for listening to today's show and also a very special thank you to today's guest, Kathy Slack. As always, it would be great if you are able to subscribe, share and review the podcast. It really does make a huge, huge difference. So until next time, keep growing and cooking. Grow Cook Inspire is supported by Caledonian Horticulture, who specialise in a range of peat-free horticulture products at their composting sites in the southeast of Scotland. Sustainability is at the very heart of everything they do, diverting valuable resources from landfill and protecting our environment. For more information, visit caledonianhorticulture.co.uk.